the nation's capital. Here is tonight's Nations Report. Good evening, Turks and Caicos, and coming up in the Nations Report for today, the 27th day of October 2022. Police confirm sexual abuse investigation involving minors. The country sees its 27 murder that breaks the relative calm. And a UK minister pays courtesy call to Royal Turks and Caicos Islands Police Force. These are just some of the headlines coming up for this evening. With the details, I'm Damien Wilson. And now, here is tonight's news. And welcome to the Nation's Report for today, Thursday. Earlier today, RTC News received a report of a possible sexual abuse investigation involving several minors who are students of the H.J. Robinson High School. After receiving those reports, we reached out to the Royal Turks and Caicos Islands Police Force regarding a possible investigation. Police Communications Officer Denise Renee has since issued a release to media confirming that the police are actively investigating an alleged incident that occurred at the H.J. Robinson High School grounds here in Grand Turk. The release goes on to say that given the sensitive nature of the report and the fact that all involved are minors, the force is appealing to members of the public and media houses to exercise responsibility in how they disseminate information via their respective platforms. The police say that they will not be issuing any further comment on the status of this investigation given the seriousness and sensitivity of the report made. Additionally, they advise that if you suspect a child of being abused or sexual abuses taking place, immediately make a report at the nearest police station or contact the Safeguarding and Public Protection Unit at 232-6696 or call 911 immediately. The Royal Turks and Caicos Islands Police Force are also reporting that officers are investigating a shooting that resulted in the country's 27th murder of the year and another person being seriously injured. The incident is the first one of its kind since local police operations were reinforced with officers and resources from the Bahamas, the United Kingdom and the U.S. Almost three weeks ago, police say that initial reports are that around 6.05 p.m. yesterday evening, October 26, multiple calls were received that gunshots were being heard in the vicinity of the James Stubbs building along Leewood Highway. Additional calls reported that the body of a male was lying near Monica Bar bleeding. Officers arriving on the scene saw the bleeding bodies of two male victims. The first victim was conscious with a gunshot wound to the left side of their body, while the second victim was lifeless. The police are asking the public to provide information regarding any incidents of criminal activity to the nearest police station or contact Crime Stoppers anonymously via 1-800-8477. 
Still in local news, Gabrielle Williams has been appointed as the new government procurement manager within the Contracts and Corporate Performance Management Unit. The unit operates within the office of the Deputy Governor, which made the announcement of Williams's appointment in a media release on Wednesday. Williams is a native of Grand Turk. She currently holds a bachelor's degree in international relations from the University of the West Indies, an associate degree in general studies with specialty in humanities at from the TCI Community College and is currently pursuing a master's degree in management studies, project management with the University of the West Indies Open Campus through the assistance of the Turks and Caicos Islands Civil Service Professional Development Fund. And Williams is also enrolled in the Certified Associated Project Management Certification, the CAPM. Professionally, Williams has worked as an adjunct lecturer for the Faculty of Humanities and Liberal Studies at the TCI Community College before joining the civil service as a procurement officer within the Contracts and Corporate Performance Management Unit. Commenting on the appointment, Williams gave thanks to God and her daughter Jasmine, whom she says fuels her passion for succeeding. She expressed that she is humbled and delighted to accept the role, and she takes on this new challenge with great anticipation that will allow her to continuously better herself professionally and personally. Williams added that she is committed to contributing to the growth of that's growth and success of her unit and, by extension, to the Turks and Caicos Islands government. Deputy Governor and Head of the Public Service, Her Excellency Anya Williams, congratulated Miss Williams, saying that Gabrielle is a, that's a consummate professional and one of the most hardworking and driven public servants that she has had ever that she's ever had the pleasure of working with. She went on to say that since taking up the post of procurement officer within the unit, Williams has become an integral part of the organization and has availed herself of numerous training programs, equipping her with the skills necessary to help her to excel throughout her career with the unit. The deputy governor added that with the recent promotion of Ms. Loretta Ewing to the post of deputy director within the unit, they know that Gabrielle will continue to be an asset to her team. United Kingdom Minister the Honorable Jesse Norman on Wednesday paid a courtesy visit to Commissioner of Police Trevor Botting at police headquarters. Accompanying the Honorable Norman was Governor of the Turks and Caicos Islands, His Excellency Nigel Dakin, and several officials from the United Kingdom. The meeting took place against the backdrop of cooperation between the UK and the Royal Turks and Caicos Islands Police Force in matters of security and policing. Honorable, that's the Honorable Minister, witnessed a briefing of intelligence-led reports compiled by officers of the Royal Turks and Caicos Islands Police Force, at the end of which the minister was taken on a tour of the dockyard area. The force says that police that some of the senior police officers present at that visit included Deputy Commissioner of Police Rodney Adams, Assistant Commissioner of Police Darren Williams, Acting Assistant Commissioner of Police Willard Harvey, and Assistant Commissioner of Police from the Bahamas, Kendall Strahan.
As of Wednesday, 26th October, Honorable Norman was appointed Minister of State for the Department of Transport in the UK. However, prior to this, and while on his visit to the TCI, he was the Minister for Overseas Territories within the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, the FCDO. And as we wrap things up here on the local news segment, residents are being asked to be on the lookout for a wanted male suspect. Police have issued a wanted poster for 32-year-old Brandon Leonardo Reming in connection with murder, drugs, and firearms offenses. Reming is described as being 5 foot 7 inches tall and slim built. His last known addresses were the Bite Providentiales and Freeport Grand Bahama. He is believed to frequent several areas of Providentiales, including Dockyard, Q-Town, and the Bight area. Police say that Brandon Reming is considered to be armed and extremely dangerous. The public is advised not to approach Mr. Reming. If he's seen, call police immediately. Now, police are also reminding the public that it is an offense to harbor a wanted person and that anyone who does so will be prosecuted. If you have any information on the whereabouts of Brendan Reming, please contact the police fire 911 CID Bahamas on 242-502-9991 or Crime Stoppers on 1-800-8477 that's 1-800-TIPS or 242-328-8477 that's 242-328-8 that's 242-328-TIPS Persons can also use the Crime Stoppers online reporting page via their website, crimestoppers.tc. All information you provide will be treated in the strictest of confidences, police. And the Royal Turks and Caicos Islands Police Force wants to remind persons that all Crime Stoppers calls are answered by the Miami-Dade Police Department and no one from the Royal Turks and Caicos Islands Police Force will know who called. Only the information received will be provided to local law enforcement. And lastly, the public is reminded that they should not, that you should not provide any information via the police Facebook and Twitter pages. This brings us to the end of this segment of the newscast. Stay tuned. Up next is news from the region. And as we turn to regional news, the United Nations resident and humanitarian coordinator in Haiti, Ulrika Richardson, says Haitians are coming together to tackle the out- recent outbreak of cholera in the country. I visited several cholera treatment centers in the most affected neighborhoods of Port-au-Prince. The and saw heartbreaking scenes, children who were so malnourished it was difficult to insert a drip into their arms or legs, adults who were clearly very ill. What immediately struck me was the intense smell of chlorine disinfectant, which is used to sterilize the immediate environment, clearly a sign that the facility is well run 
and by health professionals who know how to prevent and treat the disease. I saw staff continually scrubbing the floor and surfaces to ensure that cholera bacteria could not spread, Father Richardson said. She said that she is deeply impressed and moved by the commitment and dedication of health workers, adding, I met many inspirational people who have embodied this professionalism and who have also demonstrated humanity and huge empathy with patients under treatment. Many have told the Haitians are Many have told me that the Haitians are coming together to get through this difficult time. The United Nations is reporting that up until a few days ago, the increase in cholera cases had been gradual. But now health authorities are seeing a worrying sharp increase. So the situation has become challenging. Figures released by the Department of Epidemiology, Laboratories and Research of the Ministry of Public Health in Haiti show that as of October 23rd, the total number of suspected cases in hospitals is over 1,400, while there have been 41 deaths since the first was recorded on October 2nd. Richardson said it is important to remember that although cholera can be deadly, it is preventable and treatable. Speed is of the essence to contain an outbreak and save lives. I believe the public health response from the Haitian authorities, local and international NGOs, with the support of the UN was immediate and decisive despite shortages of clean water and the fuel needed to provide power to health facilities and enable staff to get to work. Turning to Guyana, where the government there has welcomed the announcement by U.S. oil company ExxonMobil that it had made two discoveries at the Sailfin 1 and Euro 1 wells in the Starbuck block offshore Guyana, taking discoveries in the area to more than 30 since 2015. In a statement, the Ministry of Natural Resources said that government anticipates that these two additional discoveries will further increase the country's petroleum resources. As such, the Ministry of Natural Resources and its regulatory agencies continue to build capacity to enhance monitoring and exploration activities as Guyana offshore development and production accelerate at a pace that exceeds the petroleum industry average. The ministry said it had been advised that the Sealfin 1 well encountered approximately 312 feet of hydrocarbon bearing sandstone while that's and was drilled in 4,600 feet of water. The Yarrow 1 well encountered approximately 75 feet of hydrocarbon bearing sandstone and was drilled in over 3,500 feet of water. It said both wells were drilled by the Stana Corrine drill ship. Natural Resources Minister Vikram Barrett said the petroleum sector regulatory agencies were mandated to enhance collaboration with all other operators to expedite their drill programs as we seek to further expand the sector through the discoveries of recoverable high-quality hydrocarbon. Additionally, the much-anticipated bidding round for the oil blocks offshore Guyana is expected to bring new and emerging major petroleum companies to further increase Guyana's oil and gas potential, said Barrett. The statement said currently the first two offshore projects, Laser 1, that's Laser Phase 1 and Laser Phase 2, are 
now producing above design capacity and achieved an average of nearly 360,000 barrels of oil per day in the third quarter. It said a third project, Pariah, is expected to start up by the end of 2023, and a fourth project, Yellowtail, is expected to start in 2025. In news out of the Bahamas, Bahamian Prime Minister Philip Davis said his administration is looking at how best to deal with the shanty towns in Abaco that are not covered by an existing court injunction, adding demolition was among the options that can be taken. However, the Prime Minister was noncommittal regarding whether the country has an immigration crisis, saying, well, I call it Will I call it a crisis or not? I don't think we're there yet, but there are challenges in that area. On Wednesday, as Mr. Davis left the House of Assembly, he was asked about the issue. He said it was a concern for the government and pointed to dysfunction and challenges emanating from other parts of the world, causing an influx of irregular migration. The world is contending with it. We have to contend with it, Mr. Davis said. And yes, we have to find a balance to how we deal with the with it without impacting the lives of our own citizens. Asked if the Davis administration would consider demolishing the shantytown structures that aren't covered by the injunction, he said, we're going to look at how best to deal with these things in a humane, humane way. And if that's one of the routes, that's an option that's out there. The injunction was granted by Supreme Court Justice Cheryl Grant Thompson in 2018. It banned demolition in New Providence and parts of Abaco. However, it has been one year, more than one year, since the injust that's the justice adjourned a judicial review into whether demolition of the unregulated communities is unconstitutional. Earlier this month, Immigration Minister Keith Bell said there would be an increase in number of immigration offices deployed to Abaco due to the recent expansion of several shanty towns there, with one unregulated community mushrooming to 200 acres since. 2019. This brings us to the end of regional news. Stay tuned. Up next is news on the international scene. Turning to news out of the U.S., we're less than two weeks before the U.S. midterm elections with Democrats on the verge of losing their razor-thin majority in Congress. The party is asking former President Barack Obama to perform some late-game heroics or at least help limit their losses. Obama, who left office in 2017 after serving two terms, travels to Georgia on Friday and then moves on to Wisconsin, Nevada, and Pennsylvania, all key battleground states in the November 8th election. All four states are home to competitive Senate races where Republican candidates appear to be gaining momentum. Republicans need to pick up just one additional Senate seat to secure 
control of that chamber, with Georgia and Nevada looming as prime targets. Republicans are also expected to win enough seats to take over the U.S. House of Representatives. Holding both chambers will enable them to stonewall President Joe Biden's agenda, block his nominees, including federal judges, and launch investigations of his administration. With Biden's approval rating among voters hovering at 39%. According to the latest Reuters Ipsos poll, it is the former president who is assuming the role as the party's closer in the final days. Biden served as Obama's vice president for his two terms. He's probably a better at ad- ambassador for swing states, Democrats, than Biden is, since he's more popular, especially in the competitive states, and less tied to the current issues on voters' minds, said Jacob Rabaskin, an election analyst with Inside Elections in Washington. He's also more natural campaigner. Obama will hit a fifth state, Michigan, which has a competitive governor's race along the way. Dogged by the public's concern over inflation and the economy, Biden has been nearly invisible on the campaign trail. His predecessors, Republican Donald Trump and Obama, both had more than a dozen large rallies at this point in their second year in office. But those presidents saw significant losses in Congress regardless, underscoring the political headwinds that Biden faces now. Obama suffered what he later called a shellacking when Republicans captured 63 House seats in the 2010 midterms, altering the trajectory of his presidency. Biden isn't staying off the trail entirely. He plans to campaign in Florida next week on behalf of Democratic gubernatorial candidate Charlie Crest, who faces Republican Governor Ron DeSantos, a possible 2024 White House contender, and then will join Obama for events in Pennsylvania on November 5th. And still in international news with climate change still looming over our heads, there is no credible path to keep the rise in global temperatures below the key threshold of 1.5 degrees Celsius, according to a bleak new United Nations assessment. Scientists believe that going beyond 1.5 degrees Celsius would see dangerous impacts for people all over the world. The report says that since COP26 last year, government's carbon-cutting plans have been woefully inadequate. Only an urgent transformation of society will avoid disaster, the study says. There's just over a week until the next major climate conference known as COP27 starts in Egypt. Mindful of the fact that the world's attention has been elsewhere since climate diplomats met in Glasgow last year, this week has been a flurry of reports underlining the fact that climate change hasn't gone away. Answering questions from BBC viewers and listeners this week, the UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez said the world needed to refocus on climate change or face catastrophe. The gloomy mood among scientists and diplomats is underlined in today's release of the United Nations Emissions Gap Study. Now in its 13th year, the report analyzes the gap between the rhetoric and the reality. It concludes that the 1.5 degrees Celsius threshold is now seriously in peril. The 
This ana- analysis finds that new efforts to cut carbon would see global emissions fall by less than 1% by 2030, when according to scientists, reductions of 45% are needed to keep 1.5 in play. Looking at the impact on temperatures, the study finds that with the current policies in place, the world will warm by around 2.8 degrees Celsius this century. If countries get financial support and put into practice the plans they have made, this could be limited to 2.4 degrees Celsius. We had our chance to make incremental changes, but that time is over, said Inger Anderson, executive director of UNEP, who produced the study. Only a root and branch transformation of our economies and societies can save us from accelerating climate disaster, she said. The UN acknowledges that achieving massive cuts in emissions is now a tall order, but it points to electricity in the electricity industry, transport and buildings as areas where rapid transformations away from fossil fuels can be made. We've got to take climate change with us wherever we go, said Ms. Anderson, into the classroom, into the boardrooms, into the voting booth, over the dinner table. We cannot let go of climate change, as well as highlighting the slow pace of progress on tackling the causes of warming. Other studies published this week show that governments are failing to prepare for the impacts of higher temperatures. In the UK, a committee of MPs and Pierce says the government needs to get a grip on the risk to critical infrastructure posed by a warmer climate. Stay tuned to Radio Turks and Caicos. Up next is sports. And earlier today, Virat Kali's 50 set up, set India up comfortably to win their T20 World Cup cricket match. Virat Kali scored a second straight half century at the T20 World Cup as India beat the Netherlands by 56 runs earlier today. Kali scored 62 not out or 44 balls to guide his team to 179 for two after India chose to bat first. India captain Rohat Sharma scored 53 while Kama Yadav had 51 not out off 25 balls and shared an important partnership with Kali which accelerated the innings. In reply the Netherlands couldn't last against a quality Indian attack and finish 123 for 9. It was a near-perfect win for us. We were slow at the start, but we needed to take time on this pitch, said Sharma, who criticized his own 39-ball innings. Not happy, but runs are important, even if they are ugly runs. 
Earlier, Lakash Raul fell cheaply for the second game running. Kali and Sharma then put on 75 runs off 56 balls for the second wicket. Sharma hit four fours and three sixes, bringing up his half century off 35 balls. He was caught in the 12th over. India was at 82 for four, that's 84 for two, and still only scoring at seven per over. Kali and Yadav then put on 95 or 48 balls. Yadav hit seven fours and a six, the latter bringing up his half century off the last ball of the Indian innings. Kali's half century had come off 37 balls, including three fours and two sixes. India's final acceleration put the game beyond its opponent's reach. Indian spinners strangled the Netherlands' chase. Axor Patel recovered from a mauling against Pakistan and took two for 18 in four overs. It was in the, that game that Kali scored a match-winning 82, not out, off 53 balls. Ravav Chandran Ashwin had two for 21 against the Netherlands. He dismissed Colin Ackerman and Tom Cooper in the same over. Tim Pringle was the top Dutch scorer with 20 or 15 balls, but the result was never in doubt against an impressive display by the Indian bowlers. Bharadneshwa Karma had economical figures of 2 for 9 in 3 overs. Ashdeep Singh took 2 for 37, while Mohammed Shimi finished with 1 for 27. India moved to the top of Group 2 with 4 points from consecutive wins over Pakistan and the Netherlands. Also taking place was South Africa versus Bangladesh, where South Africa is now second after it beat Bangladesh by 104 runs in the first of three games. Really... Wasau posted the first century of the tournament, plundering 109 from 56 deliveries. After brief concerns about rain, South Africa batted first and posted 205 for five. Wasau and Quinton de Kock put on 163 run, well, that's 163 runs off 81 balls for the second wicket for the highest South African partnership ever at the tournament. De Kock scored 50 off 33 balls and was eventually out for 63 off 38, including seven fours and three sixes. The Proteus then scuttled Bangladesh for 101 with Enrich Nate picking up four wickets. Clinical in terms of performance, South African captain Tamba Boufma said, the batting lineup has shaped up quite nicely, said the captain. In the third Group 2 game of the day, Zimbabwe won the toss against Pakistan in Perth and opted to bet. Pakistan is in need of its first win after losing to India in a nerve-wracking contest at the Melbourne Cricket Grounds. Zimbabwe has one point after its first game against South Africa and Hobart was washed out. This brings us to the end of sports. It also brings us to the end of today's newscast. Stay tuned for a look at the headlines.
and taking a look back at the headlines for today, Thursday, 27 October, police confirmed sexual abuse investigation involving minors. The country sees its 27 murder that breaks relative calm and UK minister pays a visit to Royal Turks and Caicos Islands Police Force. Thank you for joining us for today's newscast for the RTC News and Production Team. I'm Damian Wilson saying have yourselves a wonderful evening. And, of course, join us again tomorrow for another edition of the Nation's Report. And if you want more news, you can log on to www.rtc89fm.com to view these and other news stories or download the RTC app in the Google Play Store. Oh, sorry, my apologies. That's www.rtc89fm.com. Three W's in there, right? The World Wide Web. Have yourselves a wonderful evening. Join us again tomorrow evening at 6 p.m. for another edition of The Nation's Report.